Today is Friday, November 1st, 2019, time for episode 97 of the Barnhart Podcast. And we survived another Halloween with all the ghosts, goblins, ghouls, and all the other things roaming about, plus all the kids knocking on the doors and asking for candy. Hopefully it was a little somewhat tame in your neighborhood as well. I hid inside and just didn't engage it at all. Frankly, with all this stuff that's going on, you know, the literal demon worship inside the Vatican and and all that kind of stuff, I just, any engagement with anything that even is remotely touching upon, for lack of a better word, the dark side, and, and that's not a Star Wars reference, but, you know, demonic and and evil and all that i just i ain't touching it and i'm i'm not going there and not opening myself or exposing myself to any of that so i just hid indoors basically so <laughs> in more was- same in more sane times in the church there was a triduum of sorts around this this feast day the the eve of all hallows all saints day and then all souls and it was a a reminder that we are all called for an eternal destiny. I mean, obviously today we celebrate all of the saints in heaven who are canonized or not canonized, including St. Tiny Princess. And we got, an, I got a note from uh, Mark, who you did the podcast with earlier, that he was definitely in, invoking her today. And I had a, had a feeling he wasn't the only one. I know for a fact he wasn't the only one because I was invoking her quite a bit today too. But uh, and so we have the the originally a vigil of all saints and then the feast of all saints and then the reminder just in case you didn't get it two previous days man you will die you will return to dust that from whence you came you don't get out of this alive act like it and prepare for it and this is all it's all gone in the in the modern liturgy even in the 1962 calendar i don't know how how much of this was still around i mean I know that there are a lot of people who really love the pre-55 calendar, and and maybe when things become sane again, if they ever become sane again, uh, we'll revert to something like that, where where all of the octaves and and all of the uh, minor triduums and and, uh, vigils and feasts were were celebrated. But that's a really beautiful one that I heard about, and um, I heard about this from one of the listeners who was who's out near, not too far away from where the, the, I think it's the remnant who's doing the Catholic identity conference and Bishop Schneider's out there and they're, they're doing it up. Of course it's, it's Institute of Christ the King. They're doing it up, you know, to the bells uh, or to the nines, I should say with bells on. And they're doing the traditional triduum because the Institute gets permission to do everything pre 55. I don't know how they pulled that one, but I wish I could have taken part in some of that, that that's amazing. And these are customs that inform the faith and they really need to come back. Oh, absolutely. And these two days, all all saints today and all souls tomorrow. Um, I, I spoke, it's been it's been a couple of months ago now. Um, I spoke about praying for your friends that you haven't met yet as a way as a an exercise in charity and so forth. And I got I got a little bit of feedback on that. And one one email that I got was from a person who is older obviously because the as we've talked about while there are definitely younger people who listen to this podcast a lot of the demographics skew older um in terms of our audience and one person emailed and said you know that that's all fine and good and dandy but when you're when you're older um 
it's for a lot of people and especially people who are especially elderly. And I remember seeing this, um, with, um, one of my grandparents, all of my grandparents are now dead, but, um, years and years ago, I remember one of my grandparents, you know, complaining, saying all of my friends are dead. All of my friends are dead. And for older people, there's kind of this, um, there can be this feeling that you're not going to make any more friends. All, everyone that you've met, that you're going to meet, you've already met when you're, you know, 85, 90 years old. And one thing that I that I want to point out, and I, I should write this up and put this in writing on the blog as well, is that this business of praying for your friends that you haven't met yet, um, no matter how old you are, there's two groups in there that you should that you should always be focused on. First is all of the people and people and angels in the church triumphant. Um, there's we don't even we don't even know how many angels there are. I I wrote a piece when we were talking about you know calculating how many. Um, science is trying to figure out how big the universe is and how many galaxies there are in the universe. And the more they develop these, these um, um, telescopes and so forth, the more they see just how, how incomprehensibly enormous the universe is, every, how many galaxies there are, and then, you know, estimate that there's a hundred billion stars in every galaxy. And it's said that every star in the entire universe has an angel that is assigned to it because there's, there are angels who take care of all of the, or, you know, are tasked with overseeing in a certain sense. Now, obviously God is God and he's completely um, omnipotent, but there are angels that are tasked with, with overseeing certain aspects of the physical universe and that every star has an angel. Well, at that point, you start multiplying all of this out and you're getting into the quintillions, the sextillions. H how many angels are there? We don't even know. Okay, so there's all of the angels in the church um, in the church triumphant. And then there's every human being, not just canonized saints, but every human being who has achieved or will achieve the beatific vision. All of those people and those angels are your friends that you haven't met yet. And we're, you know, presuming with the thought process that we are going to ourselves someday achieve the beatific vision. Then, so that's that's on the Feast of All Saints. Then tomorrow for the Feast of All Souls and the people that, that you should be praying for every day. And I think it's an incredibly good thing to think about them in this context are the poor souls in, in purgatory. Again, remember every single person in purgatory is eventually going to achieve the beatific vision. And if I make it, if, if you make it individually, then that means that every single person in purgatory right now is literally a friend that you haven't met yet. And so I think it's a very, very healthy thing to start thinking about the church triumphant, the communion of saints, and the church suffering in those terms. Every every human being and every angel is your friend that you haven't met yet. Um, 
you don't need to pray for the angels and the saints in heaven. In fact, you should ask them to pray for you, but you should pray for your friends that you haven't met yet in purgatory, which is everyone in purgatory. Um, and at this, and it doesn't matter how old you are. Obviously, you could be 104 and all of these, all of these people and all of those angels, they're all your friends that you haven't met yet. So there's no, don't feel like you're excluded, you're cut off. You don't have anything in front of you just because you're getting older. Um, you don't understand how much you have in front of you and how many people and angelic beings that you haven't met yet that you will meet when we're all together inside the the beatific vision inside the church triumphant and then you know also don't forget god himself um i i don't know if it's theologically incorrect but um thinking about thinking about especially the second person our lord jesus christ as a friend that you that you haven't met yet face to face that you've not you know you've not yet looked into his eyes you you you've not yet been able to smell what he smells like and and things like that so you're going to meet him face to face too and obviously as the the old protestant hymn that i remember from from childhood what a friend we have in jesus well indeed that is absolutely true so there's all kinds of friends that you haven't that you haven't met yet and that's what especially these two days all saints and all souls it's all revolving around that so there you go you have lots of friends in lieu of actually meeting jesus in person which we'll do at our judgment there is also the idea of treating everybody the whether it's the least of the people you know or just any random person anyone who qualifies under the term of neighbor and just read the gospel if you don't know what that means it's everybody Mm -hmm. Treat them all as though they are Jesus and you have met Jesus in a, in a real and certain sense and treat him accordingly because he's not going to forget how you treat him. Indeed. I think it. I think there's a little bit of something about that in, in the Gospels, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> but admittedly, admit, admittedly, in these dark days, it's, it, it can be difficult and tough to do that. But we should we should strive to do it. And don't don't. Um, don't misunderstand super nerd and think that you're actually um, that you're, you know, we, the kind of the, the infiltrators of the church, they kind of use the rhetoric that, you know, for example, anti Pope Bergoglio is talking about how we should, we should get down on our knees and worship the poor and things like that. I mean, obviously that's not what we're talking about, but yes, I mean, obviously our Lord said in the gospels more than once that, you know, what you do, to to the least you're you're doing it to me so um always have that optimism there and then be absolutely assured that there are all kinds of people and angelic beings that um they're they're going to be your friends there's going to be an eternity of um not not just i mean obviously when we're in the beatific vision you're you're literally inside god but part of that is is the communion of saints and there's going to be the, just this eternity of seeing other people angels etc cetera, etc cetera. it's going to be an absolutely inexhaustible and not that they're we're all going to be living outside of time which is kind of a it's impossible for us to get our heads around that 
now as we, as we're living in linear time, but um, eternity is going to be just an inexhaustible um, supply, if you will, of a friend of of friends, literally friends inside the beatific vision. And I'll make a very imperfect analogy. Um, I would imagine everybody who's listening has either watched a sporting event or at least has heard of sporting events. And uh, there's this thing called the Super Bowl they do once a year. And back in 1985, uh, Chicago won the Super Bowl and their coach was Mike Ditka. And there had been such a long drought of championships in Chicago that people were were so happy about this that uh, Mike Ditka literally could not buy dinner or a drink for himself for years. And the rumor is he still hasn't been able to buy a drink or a dinner for himself in Chicago because people are still so grateful about this. When you do something good for somebody else, the saints and the angels are watching and they will pray for you. It's far better than hitting the game winning whatever in sports ball and having dinners and drinks bought for you. Having the saints and angels intercede for you with God to win graces for you. That's what you should be looking for. And you can do it every day in the most menial, mundane things that you don't think about. I mean, it could be as simple as being polite to the driver who wants to cut in, even though they should have gotten over to the number two lane half a mile ago. Just the, the kind, kind yeah. of kindnesses <laughs> won't be overlooked. Indeed. Indeed. It's, um, and don't worry about getting, getting recognition in this world. Um, because all of your deeds will be exposed. Every, everything that we do for good or for ill will be exposed as if on a, an enormous IMAX screen for the entire, for the entire universe, everyone to see at the general judgment. And if, if that's not an incentive to get you to stop and think twice before committing some wicked act, before committing some sin and remember every human being without exception um will be will glorify god at the end at their general judgment the people who make it to the beatific vision will will be a testament and a and a glorification of god's mercy and the people who end up in hell will be a testament to god's justice and so every human being without exception created by God glorifies him one way or the other. So try, try as hard as you can to make sure obviously that you're, you're glorifying him in the right way. And remember that everything is going to be seen and everything is going to be known. And definitely try to bring as many people to the, to the truth as, as possible and pray for them. And on that theme, you had mentioned that uh, we, we need to have a campaign to have masses, or at least a mass, but masses said for the conversion of Kanye West and his Kardashian. Yeah, it's um, someone emailed me, um, you know, Kanye West is this this rapper person, not my favorite person to put it mildly. Um, well, and, and when this no, this story broke, I was chatting with a friend of mine. It's like, I couldn't even name a single um, piece of music slash artistic audio no. work that he's ever done, as opposed to throw out any rapper from the 90s. I probably could remember something, not that I listened to rap, but I was among people in the Navy who listened to this stuff. Any of the West Coast stuff I probably heard of because you hear this stuff on the ship, but I'm racking my brain saying, what exactly does Kanye do? And even after Googling it and, and listening to a couple of them on YouTube, it's like, I still have no idea who this cat is. 
Yeah, it's strange. Popular music. I mean, you know, when we were kids and we're born in the 70s and, you know, there was the American Top 40 every Sunday night and there was a pop music chart and there were popular songs that pretty much everyone listened to. And then and then other people maybe listened to other other genres. There were people who skewed more towards heavy metal, people who skewed more towards obviously um, R&B and rap and so forth. But there were, there was a, there was a general catalog of music that, that people all knew and all heard. And I don't, uh, maybe, maybe I'm just completely detached from this anymore and I don't realize it, but it seems to me that that doesn't really exist anymore. I, I mean, I suppose there are, there are popular music artists and and um i put that in scare quotes definitely um but it, it it just seems to me that there aren't the songs anymore that have and especially songs that have any sort of persistence that you know like the songs of the 80s that we grew up with for good or for ill that we can still sing every word to we can still hum the melody it just i i don't see any example of that anymore and somebody like this this kanye west rapper person yeah i have absolutely no idea of anything any again it's not a lot of it isn't music but what any music that he's done at all. And yet he's worth, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, so obviously not my favorite person. Then he's married to the worst, the worst. I mean, they're all terrible. He's married to one of these Kardashian witches. And, and, and by the way, put married in scare quotes too, because she, I think this is her quote unquote third marriage or something. I mean, who who knows with these people? They're just all morally insane. However, having said that, Kanye West is talking is apparently, and we hope this is genuine and lasting and real, is on a, a, a Jesus kick, for lack of a better word. And the guy is is going around and talking about our Lord. And it's, I mean, believe me, it's super sketchy, but the the point that keeps coming across and you, I mean, I'm getting it in my email box and you see people saying it on the internet is that um, Kanye West seems to be far, far, far more Christian than anti-Pope Bergoglio, which is, which is absolutely true. I mean, anti-Pope Bergoglio is a full-blown apostate, obviously. Kanye West is at least he's moving in the right direction. That that's undeniable. He's he's right now, he's moving in the right direction. And so um, a listener or reader emailed and said, Anne, you should have, and I'm putting the call out now if somebody's willing to do this, you should have a mass said for the conversion to the one holy Catholic and apostolic church of Kanye West and and the Kardashians. The Kardashians are um they're what An is Eastern Orthodox uh, train wreck? They well yeah, they're they're Armenian. Uh, the I A N last name, I believe that that's Armenian and they are are they are technically Armenian Orthodox and all of those kids that they have are baptized 
in the Armenian Orthodox Church. And I mean, and they're, they go and they, they dress, they're obviously dressed like whores, but they're, they're veiled. I mean, they, the, the, the women are veiled and they go and these children are baptized. Um, so there's, there's a point of connection there. And then as we've talked about before, in terms of the American black culture, there certainly is, um, it, it touches on Christianity. A lot of them are obviously baptized. They go to quote unquote church. Now, obviously black church is a, is a train wreck. It's, it's outside the one Holy Catholic and apostolic church, obviously. Um, but it, it's a real exercise. And as soon as the email came across and I read it and there was the initial Kanye West, I said, I thought, well, you know, this, this absolutely is an exercise in fraternal charity that I, that I personally definitely need, need to try to do. So putting the call out right now, any, any priests out there listening, if anyone would be willing, you know, at any point on any day to offer the Holy and August sacrifice of the mass for the conversion of Kanye West and the, the Kardashians. Um, Yeah, I, I, I want to do this. I want to, as much as I personally dislike these people and wouldn't want to be in the same room with them, wouldn't want to necessarily carry on a conversation with them. You don't need, and I think you and I were talking about this or chatting about this um, earlier this week, you don't need fraternal charity doesn't mean you need to be buddy buddy with people in this world it doesn't even necessarily mean that you need to like like them on a personal level what what that fraternal charity means um in its simplest sense is you need to be rooting for absolutely everybody who st- for whom the question is still open to achieve the beatific vision Everybody, including anti-Pope Bergoglio, including the most odious sodomite, including, you know, your horrible, abusive parent, um, ex-spouse, civilly divorced ex-spouse, whatever. You've got to be rooting for everybody to achieve the beatific vision. We all meet back up in the beatific vision. And you need to be rooting for that. You can't be rooting for anybody to go to hell for whom the question is still open. Okay. I need to interject real quick. We had a brief audio hiccup. And um, I think the gist of of what you were saying is is intact. But I just wanted to interject that because people listening are going to say, what was that? So Mm. we were talking about, yes, definitely everybody. We need to be rooting for everybody to get to the BFW vision. Yes, no question. Um, but not necessarily, that's not the same thing as saying that you need to go re-engage, for example, with um, someone who is abusive to you or was abusive to you in this world, but you've got to be rooting for them to that you be reconciled with them in the beatific vision. And remember, I mean, it's it's kind of, it's difficult to imagine sometimes because obviously some, some relationships become so toxic and so forth. Um, but I've heard heard it said that you have to love people, but you don't necessarily have to like them and loving, loving them is, is desiring the good. And there is no higher good than to be joined uh, with God in the beatific vision, liking them, 
worry about that in the next life. Uh, love them now, get them into heaven, help them, do whatever you can. Um, even St. Teresa of the Child Jesus, she or was it Avila or both, um, actively disliked some of the nuns that were with her, but they always emphasized charity and love toward them to the point that the other sisters thought that that the the one who annoyed her the most was her favorite sister. Like, was her favorite, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> if if that's what everyone is thinking, then you're doing it right, even if you can't stand the person. But at the same time, that doesn't mean don't be faking and sincere either. Um, you, <laughs> I know that sounds like a contradiction of turns, but at a certain level, you, you have to mean it. And that's the difficult part, I think. Not being, you know, just sneeringly fake. Um, you, we're never supposed to be fake. We're never supposed to be insincere. You've got to, you've got to cultivate that, that fraternal charity and mean it and not be fake about it. Um, It does start with you first. And and one of the interesting turns of phrase I've heard used before is rather than thinking about somebody as, man, I really hate this person is you you think about them as, man, they really sanctify me. They give me a lot to overcome. And it does start with that first internal reaction. And then if you can think about that and embrace that and say, yes, you are giving me a lot to overcome. You're helping me save my soul. I'm going to return the favor as much as I can because I love you and want you in heaven with Jesus. Yes, absolutely. And I've given this advice to a lot of people over the years now. Um, people who have just <sighs> horrific mothers-in-law, um, you know, co-workers, ex-spouses. Um, there's there's obviously so much anger and resentment that can go with um, s- civil divorces and so on and so forth. And one of the things that I tell people is that if you're if if you're really consumed by this, one of the best things that you can do for yourself is to have masses said for for that person. And I've got you know, not getting into details, but I've got um, multiple people that I have being commemorated at mass um, regularly. And there's one that's being commemorated every day. Um, And I I will never have anything to do with these people ever again in this world ever. But you have to for your own for your own good. And because it, it when you do that, um, not only obviously is the holy sacrifice of the mass being offered for for that person specifically, and as we've talked about, how much good is done by having the mass said for for a person while they are still alive. It's orders of magnitude more efficacious to have masses said for people while they're still alive, which is why I'm I am so grateful and to God and always will be that I'm now in the position where I can have the, the Holy sacrifice of the mass offered every day for all of my benefactors and supporters every day, every day. Um, so to have, to have the Holy sacrifice offered for somebody while they're still alive is doing them incredible good. But guess what also happens because you're the one who's, who's having these masses said, there's also grace that comes back to you and what it's specific when you're having it said for your enemies um one of the main things that you get as a benefit of that is just the peace you know that it takes the edge off of that just off of any anger and resentment and so forth that 
so forth that you might have. Now, again, reiterating, that's not to say that you go diving back into some horribly abusive, dysfunctional, awful situation. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is that like a, a lot of people, there's probably someone out there listening right now who's had a, a civil divorce and you just, you're just consumed with a resentment. You think all the time about the betrayal and this and that and whatever of the, of your spouse who you are now civilly divorced from. Well, if you want to, to move towards knocking the edge off of that anger and off of that resentment and just, you know, getting, getting to a, a closer to peace with the whole thing. There's nothing better that you can do than start having masses said for, for your ex-spouse. And for a lot of people, that's really tough. But the fact, the fact that it is tough should tell you right there, that should be an indicator in and of itself, that it's probably a good thing for you to do. And in terms of praying for those people who are people we wouldn't necessarily want to spend a lot of time with um, and, and doing good things spiritually for them, that doesn't always mean um, we're being necessarily nice. And I'm reminded of the situation just in the last week of the priest in South Carolina, I think it was South Carolina, who refused communion to Joe Biden. Hey, finally. See, this is, I'm convinced that, you know, this the the saying which is a truism it's axiomatic where where because it's in scripture where sin abounds grace abounds all the more so all of this garbage with this worshiping of of pagan demon idols in the vatican this is all going on and obviously there's just profound profound amounts of sin However, I suspect that this, what this is doing is it's waking so many people up and waking priests up. I have to think that there is a, a correlation, there's a relationship between the sin of what's going on in the Vatican. And now I, I suspect that we're going to start seeing more priests like this good priest in South Carolina, who's going to say, you know what, this is enough is enough. I've had enough of this. And that grace is going to come. And finally, good priests are going to start doing the right thing and uh, telling people like Creepy Joe, no, no way. You are a public notorious advocate of the slaughter of innocent children and you need to make you need to repent of that publicly, make a public correction. And until you do that, um, there's no possible way. And that's an interesting precision because, you know, horrible people like uh, like the 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 sodomite Jesuit, but I repeat myself, priest um, James Martin is saying, no, you you it, priests have to give everyone communion no matter what, if they approach, because you can't know, he might've just gone to confession. It's true. He might've just gone to confession. However, the law, canon law clearly states, and common sense also clearly states that um, if you are a public, notorious um, sinner, and the way that these politicians and these public figures are, you have to correct yourself and your position publicly. It isn't good enough for you to just go to confession. You also have to call a press conference. You have to say, I, I have been wrong. Abortion is murder. I repent of all of this. You have to do that publicly, publicly. 
So he was absolutely right to deny creepy Joe, creepy uncle Joe, um, um, Holy communion and Oh, please God, please God, let more and more priests, let that grace flow, um, while this sin abounds and, um, let these priests start doing the right thing. It's wonderful. It is wonderful. And at the same time, I couldn't help rolling my eyes at some of the news coverage saying that this wasn't the first time that a priest refused a politician. And they cited two others in the last, or maybe it was three, including um, then Archbishop Burke in St. Louis refusing some. But no, actually, I think he said he would refuse communion to some, to a particular politician if they came through. And the, the one case of non-action, I'm sure there are many that qualified, but it's, it was more local for me. Uh, back when um, Barry Obama or Sotero, whatever his name was, um, the guy known as Barack Obama was elected president. They were fi- trying to find a health and human services secretary. And the then secretary or the then governor of Kansas, Kathy Sebelius, yeah. known pro-abort, um, even had even had a mi- very minor, um, I wouldn't even call it a censure from the, the archbishop of the diocese saying that your stance on abortion is not compatible with with uh, Catholic teaching. He should have excommunicated her ass. Oh, of course. And Absolutely. I wonder if had that had had that happened, had he had the backbone to simply say, look, woman, you are out of line. You are publicly out of line and you were unremittent about it. You are out of the church, and I forbid any priest in this diocese from giving you any sacrament until you repent. I don't think she would have been Health and Human Services Secretary. I think I think uh, Team Obama would have picked somebody else at that point. And maybe, just maybe, because losing out on that national-level appointment, maybe she would have reflected on the position and thought, maybe the bishop is right, maybe I need to review on and reflect on, on and, and maybe possibly amend my life. But if you have a minor rebuke and aren't even told to avoid the sacraments, she's yeah. not going to review on a darn thing. She's going to say, oh, it's all good. Bishop didn't tell me I can't go to communion. Of course. And I mean, that's that's the point of excommunication. It's medicinal. You're doing it for the person's own good. First and foremost, it is a horrible, horrible sin to receive Holy Communion in a state of unrepentant mortal sin. Good grief. It's it's a horrible thing to receive Holy Communion while you're in a state of grace, but just to receive it casually and, and unthinkingly. Um, how much worse is it for these people? It's, it's as, as uh, St. Paul says, it, they're, they're, you know, they're bringing, they're bringing their own death down upon themselves. They're bringing the blood of the Lord down upon themselves and not in the, in the salvific cleansing in the blood of the lamb. We're talking about in, as in, as in the Jews standing in Pontius Pilate's court saying, let his blood be upon us and upon our children with, with malice and hatred. Um, not not in the corrected sense that we say it at the elevation of the chalice in the cleansing sense that no it's it's a terrible terrible thing and it's indicative of the fact that so few people actually believe in in the real presence it's clearly just 
I'm going up to get my symbolic participation trophy cookie. That's Joe Biden. Joe Biden, literally, he was denied Holy Communion by this priest. And so what does he do? He go gets in another line with with a Eucharistic monster. (laughs) Excuse me. I mean, Eucharistic minister. The priest sees him do, do this and then goes right over and cuts him off at the pass. And this is another reason why there shouldn't be Eucharistic minister. I mean, obviously, first of all, lay people should not be touching the Blessed Sacrament, period, full stop. Um, but also because of things like this, these people like Joe Biden, he's, well, the priest wouldn't give me Holy Communion. That's not going to stop me. I have to go get my symbolic participation trophy cracker. So I'm going to go over to this this lay person, and now you're putting the lay person in the position. It's 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 abject insanity. It's it's nuts. And everybody listening out there, please do not receive Holy Communion from a lay person. Don't do it. One of the ways that that <laughs> it seems to me, if if everyone were pro- properly catechized, and you know, having said that, if a frog wore trouser pants, he'd carry a revolver. But if everyone were properly catechized, the way that we could shut down the entire Eucharistic monster thing is just everybody categorically refuse to receive Holy Communion from anyone other than a priest. I mean, that would that would put an end to it. Um, of course, now that's not going to happen until the triumph of the Immaculate Heart and so on and so forth. But or a general conversion. And I don't know if you've ever been asked uh, by people who are new to the Latin Mass, to the traditional Mass, don't they have extraordinary ministers of the Holy Eucharist, which is the full title? Don't they have that at the old Mass? I'm like, sure. It's the priest who isn't celebrating or it's a that's deacon. That's right. That's these are right. people who have these are men who have specifically had their hands consecrated under holy orders and they are allowed to touch the sacred species. Yes. And the extraordinary but, minister is the one who's not actually celebrating the mass. That's not the celebrant. Exactly. Yeah. And when you go to great big trad masses, um, boy, I've seen it. I've been at masses so large that they've had six six priests distributing Holy Communion. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> That's the extraordinary thing. He, he, It's the priest who isn't the celebrant. He's the extraordinary minister. Um, but yeah, just do, don't do it guys. Don't receive Holy Communion from a lay person. Bad, 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 bad. And then of course, you know, talking about this dynamic, but it's medicinal that's you're you're preventing the person from keeping even more sin down upon their head by clearly as Joe Biden would be receiving not in a state of grace because clearly obviously he's not um so that's an act of charity and then as super nerd just said ideally and the way this used to work when you know everybody you know, everybody believed in the real presence and understood what what the deal was. <laughs> that if if you are cut off from that, and the church has said formally and publicly, you may not receive. What the hope is is that will that will make people stop and say, "Well, I, I can't. There's no way I can get to heaven." Clearly, mathematically, logically. 
if I am cut off rightly and justly um, by, by my bishop or whoever from, from receiving Holy Communion, well, what happens if I die like this? I mean, saying to me right now, the church, Holy Mother Church is saying to me right now, you may not, you may not. It's medicinal. That's the point to, to sh- shake these people into realizing how grave and what, what danger they're in. If you die like this, it's, it's almost certain that you're out. Now, having said that, um, it bears it bears mentioning in these dark days as obviously the infiltration and everything that we're seeing um for example if anti-pope bergoglio were to issue an edict excommunicating me quote unquote would that would that have any force would that be valid well you're you're Anne barnhart you're excommunicated because you won't follow me and assent to me the anti-pope probable possible likely probable false prophet forerunner of the antichrist well of course we this this all requires discernment and common sense um i've i've said before i if i die having not been formally excommunicated or some sort of sanction against me by the anti-church as this progresses and moves moves forward i'll be nervous i mean i want to show up to my particular judgment with a literal certificate of excommunication from the anti-church of anti-pope bergoglio and if i don't have that i'll be worried that i didn't i didn't do enough i see where you're going with that but i i have to question if there's a little bit of vanity to that as well because honestly it doesn't matter whether or not you were recognized by the enemies of christ it, it matters uh, whether or not you're recognized by christ as actually following his will and in terms of the seriousness of excommunication i'm going to include uh, i'll have to figure out which one's the best clip to include in the show notes but the excommunication scene from the movie uh, beckett mm-hmm. where uh, richard burton is playing the, the english bishop and excommunicating a, forget which lord it was who um committed murder but just the the symbolism of all the bishops and and, uh, clerics there with the candles blowing them out and then stamping them upside down symbolizing that the the chance for for eternal life is stamped out and dashed to the ground unless this person converts yeah Exactly. It's it's powerful. And again, it was all contingent on the fact that people actually believed even the bad, even the bad people believed, you know, and it was a serious, serious thing. Whereas today, that's one of that's one of the fruits of the infiltration and the Novus Ordo is just whittling that that belief and that faith and even even the knowledge. How many Novus Ordo Catholics are there running around today? Who, if you walked up to them and and or they do polls all the time, and that you know you see the poll and it says, what what does the Catholic Church teach about the the bread and the transubstantiated bread and wine? And the options are, um, it's a symbol, or the and the other option is it's the literal body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. A lot, if not more than half. Now, I think sometimes it's significantly more than half of Novus Ordo Catholics think it's honestly think that it's a symbol. They don't know. They don't know. And so if you're I mean, what's what's the threat of of excommunication really 
if if it's just a symbol and as flannery o'connor said well if it's just a symbol then to hell with it it doesn't, it doesn't matter it doesn't matter which which logically is true if it is just a symbol then to hell with it it doesn't matter and so that's that's where everyone is so even the threat of excommunication has absolutely no force to most catholics anymore because they don't believe in the real presence to start with when the son of man returns will he find faith on earth and i, I say that um recently had a chance to see a skit put on at a all saints day party by uh, some some kids in a parish who were who were reenacting a scene from, I guess it was the 1940s. It was it was the the Chinese crackdown. It was about one of the Chinese martyrs. Uh, it was just a young kid. I think a girl. I'm pretty sure it was a young girl, and she wasn't even really a first communicant yet, but was being instructed on first communion and that that uh, you're receiving Jesus. And and even though they haven't received it yet, you, there was this evidence of the faith being there and it making sense. And and um, she had such devotion to the Holy Eucharist even before being able to receive. And the Chinese troops uh, barged in, shut down the church, and very sacrilegiously scattered was it 30 hosts all over the floor saying see mm-hmm. your your god doesn't exist otherwise he would have prevented this and the girl and, and they shut down the church under pain of death of anyone if anyone tried to even approach the church she snuck in 30 days in a row uh using only her tongue to pick up the the host and receive communion given doing adoration for an hour beforehand and i don't know how long afterwards and it was after on the 30th day after receiving that host that that, that final host the Chinese um, officer found her and, and martyred her. Mm-hmm. And she prevented the further desecration of, of the Blessed Eucharist. Where is that faith these days? We talk about I, the bad. I don't see it. <laughs> we talk about, you know, the, the, in, the, in the, the good old days or the bad old days, in, in the old days, talking about the, the excommunication scene from Beckett, at least the bad guys still believed. Do the good people even believe anymore? Exactly. I mean, how long did all of those those Pachamama idols sit in that church in Rome, untouched, untouched? I mean, there's all kinds of people all over the people going in, looking at it. Nobody. And Samorum Pontificum is going on at the same time. That pilgrimage of all the trads, untouched. Nobody does anything. And yeah, that was something that came out literally hours after. <laughs> I literally feel like it was hours after we uh, recorded, uh, because it literally was. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the The video of that broke of somebody stealing some of the Pachamama idols and chucking them in the Tiber. And my first thought was, why throw them in the Tiber when you haven't burnt them? Where's the thermite grenade when you need it? And sure enough, they sent out the Grendieri or the the armed guards or somebody fished them out of the Tiber. Um, the the Italian military police, the kind of elite cops in Italy, um, they say that they fish them out of Tiber, but I do, someone sent me a picture and it's absolutely for certain that at least one of them, and as I was watching that video, I was thinking this, I was like, dude, you're standing right over one of the pilings, make sure it goes in the water. At least one of them fell onto the piling base, not into the water, and you could go and some somebody took a picture of it and send it to me. And so at least one of them did not go in the water. Um, but then again, you know, anti-Pope Bergoglio and all those people, they're all a bunch of liars. So who knows, who knows if the cops actually did fish 
all five of them out. I, I, I kind of struggle to believe that because if they got in the water, yeah, they probably probably float, but they would have been, you know, they would have been in the water being swept down the, down the Tiber towards emptying out into the, into the Mediterranean for hours. I'm, I'm a little bit, um, more than a little bit skeptical that they actually did find all of them, but there was at least one that did not go into the water. Okay. So. But they, the, the folks who did this at least had the chance to plan this ahead of time, at least enough to bring a camera. Yeah. And, um, I served in the Navy on the West coast and it was a tradition in San Diego. When you come back into, in, into Harbor on your last cruise, you take your, for the, the enlisted guys. Anyway, I never saw the officers do this. You take your Dixie cup white hat off and you throw it over the side as you go under the Coronado Bay bridge. And the, the, the tradition is that if your hat floats, then, then you'll go back out to sea someday. And if it sinks, then you won't. And there were guys who would literally weight that thing down with five pounds of lead because they <laughs> never wanted to see the ocean again. Y'all who took the Pachamamas, you could have taken a, a hint from that. Or from the old, um, you know, home on the prairie uh, shows where you take take the bag, weighted down with some rocks, and put the puppies yeah. in and throw them in the pond. I mean, make the darn thing sink. I was thinking about um, if I were to do something like that, and that's what that's what I came up with. You would have to take walk into the church with you know like one of those bags that they sell at the grocery store now, um, those kind of reu- big reusable grocery bags that you can buy. And you, you put them in there and then you've got, you've got weight, you've got rocks or whatever. You tie that off and then you throw the whole thing into the, into the river. Um, it, it seems to me that that would have been the better way to do it. But like you said, um, you are supposed to, and people were emailing me immediately and saying, well, they should have burned. Yeah, you absolutely should burn stuff like that. If you have anything in your house that, you know, from, from your past life or anything like that. And in fact, I had a, I made a blog post. Somebody sent me an email and said, I have a a quote unquote papal blessing from anti-Pope Bergoglio. And I don't, I don't want this damn thing in my house anymore. What should I do with it? And my answer was burn it, collect the ashes and then dispose of the ashes in, in running water or something like that. Burn it, burn it. That's something out of an exorcism, by the way, burning something and and spreading it on running water. And that was my thought too. I I don't know if I said that to you or somebody else, but um, assuming the Pachamama idol things are actually satanic and have a demonic presence attached to them, that would be the ideal way to deal with it is burn it and distribute the ashes on running water, whether it's Mm -hmm. the Tiber or something else. I don't know. If, well, no, a toilet does not count. Um, even though the symbolism works, no, it has to be on running water. Mm-hmm. And this is something I, I, I think it's from the father Gabriel Morth book on how to deal with uh, stuff with demonic attachment. And, and, but yeah, yeah, could have been done better. I mean, I think thermite and chucking it in the river would have been better, but that's just me. Yeah. But I mean, I can see where the guys, they wanted to get in, get out and get the things disposed of as quickly as possible in case there was any, um, that they were intercepted in any way. So I can, I can see why they were in the hurry that they were in, but I would have put them in a bag, weighted the bag down. And then that would have been at the the very least they could have broken the darn things. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, folks, if you've got, if you have any 
from a pre from your previous life if you have any books about the occult i mean anything nasty like that that you you can and should get those things out of your house burn them burn them burn them burn them don't feel um i guess intimidated if you don't feel like you should touch them call the spiritual bomb squad i mean the exorcist exists for a reason yeah and there's every diocese has has at least one exorcist now if, if i'm not mistaken so yep i and, seem to and recall the priest pre saying that uh every diocese has at least one it's called the bishop and yeah. and, and yeah. no by, by definition it's the bishop you know he delegates that in a lot of cases but the permission for an exorcism has to come from the bishop which leads to some interesting cases where you have priests who are legitimately with orders tried to do an exorcism and the, and the demon laughs at him and says go away you don't have permission to exorcise me now let me if if i may i i can hear across space and time across space and time i hear listeners crying out i don't want my bishop in my house <laughs> and yes i hear you we understand we understand but um make inquiries there's things that you can do and um you can take I, them to a priest to, to dispose of you don't have to bring the priest of, yeah. or the bishop to your house Yes, exactly. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you saying that. <laughs> the entire audience went up in ours. I don't want that filth in my house. <laughs> yeah, indeed. But it 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 is. It's weird, and it's one of those things, and it's a proof set of the the supernatural reality of all of this. Like Super Nerd just said, even the worst Novus Ordo bishop, the most flaming bad whatever he still has that authority and it's 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 really weird to think about but they still do have that supernatural authority and the demons do are bound by by obedience and just by the order of things that to to obey that that authority that comes from God that even the worst bishop has just as just as even the worst sodomite priest he he's confecting the eucharist i mean obviously as long as he's he's saying the words of consecration and he you know he's ticking all the boxes and we've talked about this before at length i mean the things that a priest has to do the hoops that a priest has to jump through in order to invalidate a consecration that he does um that's why that's why we can all be reasonably confidently assured that we can walk into any Novus Ordo church within reason and be be confident that our Lord is in fact reposed in the tabernacle because our Lord is a very, very good human human resources manager. And he's not gonna set, he's not gonna set the paradigm up such that, you know, only a fraction of of consecrations at mass are valid no he said he set it up so that the vast 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 majority of majority of them are even in these dark days because he's god and he loves us and so he's provided for all of that well until we get the female deaconesses saying mass and doing other things which gets into the topic of the amazon synod and all the nonsense that happened there now that it's done what all happened? <laughs> what all happened? Well, it was obviously completely staged, completely 
pre-planned. Um, and not only that, what was exposed is, and it was exposed by Edward Penton, is that guess who paid for this? It was paid for largely by the Ford Foundation. And, you know, as soon as I saw that come across my screen, so the Ford Foundation, I said, that rings a bell. Well, of course it rings a bell. As a tiny child, I saw the words with a grant by the Ford Foundation every single day. Do you Sesame know where? Sesame Street? Sesame Street. Absolutely. Oh, seriously? <laughs> that absolutely. was just my first yeah, guess. Absolutely. Not, not only uh, the Ford Foundation in 1968 provided the seed capital for the children's television workshop, um, which is who produces uh, Sesame Street. And the, and the Ford Foundation, if you go on their website and kind of dig into it, first of all, they are they are just viciously pro-abortion, viciously pro-abortion. And they they pretty much make no bones about the fact that one of their one of their modus operandi is to get at children, to affect change by influencing children. And the younger, the better. And so, lo and behold, guess what happens in 1969? What premieres on public television? Sesame Street. Seed capital, totally funded, totally underwritten by the Ford Foundation. Guess what else on public television is was underwritten by the Ford Foundation, which I also watched almost every day? Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Now, this is interesting because, if I'm not mistaken, there is a movie starring no less than Tom Hanks, either just out or coming out pretty soon, which is some sort of a biopic about Mr. Rogers, about Fred Rogers. And of course, all of us uh, in our age group, we all grew up watching Mr. Rogers. And you're like, Anne, seriously, if, if, Anne, if you're so negative on everything that you're even going after Mr. Rogers, come on, hear me out here, hear me out. And I, I have a uh, we'll put this in the show notes because this is all documented in writing by by the people who are involved themselves. If you remember Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood from when you were a kid, there was Officer Clemens, Officer Francois Clemens, the big black guy who was also like a, an opera singer, a tenor, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. Francois Clemens, and that's the guy's real name. Um, flaming, flaming homosexual. So Mr. Rogers is getting ready to start his show also, I believe, in, in 68 or 69. And um, he's casting it. And he hires Francois Clemens because Francois Clemens was on the opera and artistic scene in Pittsburgh, which, which is where Mr. Rogers was... Um, was headquartered and based, and he all it was all produced out of the public television station in Pittsburgh. So he hires Francois Clemens. Francois Clemens goes to Mr. Rogers before he they even start producing Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood in '68 or '69, and he tells Mr. and he tells Fred Rogers that he is a sodomite. Now remember, Fred Rogers has been to Presbyterian Seminary, quote unquote, and has been fake ordained a Presbyterian minister in the 1960s. Um, Fred, he, 
Francois Clemens tells Fred Rogers that he, Francois Clemens, is an active sodomite. And Fred Rogers says, I don't care. Mr. Rogers says to Francois Clemens, there will be no engagement of this whatsoever on this show. Obviously, this there's no place for any part of that to be in this show for children. But the fact the fact that you're homosexual, I don't care. Now, think about that. In the work that we've done on diabolical narcissism, talking about love, talking about charity, but more important, talking about what the inverse, the opposite of love is. What is the opposite of charity? It's not hatred. The opposite of love, the opposite of charity is indifference. And Fred Rogers said to Francois Clemens, and Francois Clemens has testified to this, and it's in writing all over the internet because he thinks, oh, this is, look at how wonderful Fred Rogers is. Francois Clemens told Fred Rogers that he was in a state of unrepentant mortal sin, openly, unrepentantly committing sins that cry out to heaven for God's vengeance. And Fred Rogers tells him, I don't care. That, ladies and gentlemen, is a problem. Now, you look at Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. What was basically the entire point of Mr. Rogers' neighborhood? It was basically the deification of the child. It is this hyper uh, self-esteem garbage you're special, you're perfect just the way you are, on and on and on. Look at the fruits of what has come out of that. With my generation, which is called, what are we, Generation X? What, what is the hallmark of Generation X? Narcissism. Narcissism. And look where we got it from. Because Fred Rogers was telling us every day on television that we were basically little gods and goddesses and that we could do no wrong and and everything that we want and everything that we do is is just absolutely wonderful and fantastic and you're you're perfect just the way you are basically negation negating the entire notion of sin, certainly negating the notion of any sort of an external objective morality, instilling in the child the notion that they themselves are the arbiter of right and wrong, that they themselves are the arbiter of truth and the arbiter of reality. And now, lo and behold, look at what's going on. It's the Generation X and the generation right underneath that that are as we speak today, denying objective reality, saying things like Bruce Jenner is a woman, saying things like, you know, just denying objective reality right and left. And the seeds of all of that were planted in our childhoods, in, in the childhoods of these generation of these generations of people, and who is absolutely instrumental in all of that for American children, Mr. Rogers, who who bankrolled, who underwrote Mr. Rogers' neighborhood? It's the Ford Foundation. I don't think that this is I don't think that I'm grasping at straws here. I think this is a legit honest to goodness conspiracy and now we look and we've got this this Amazon synod 
completely orchestrated and completely paid for. Who do you think flew all those all those um, Amazonian pagans in? Who flew all of those um, Pachamama idols into Rome? Who paid for all that? Oh, the Ford Foundation paid for all of that. It's all paid for, and it was all pre-planned. The document was pre-written. It's probably all pre-written. If you're if you've been watching my website, I mean, I can't. I'm trying to get you know other projects done and working on the priestly celibacy video lecture and so on and so forth, and get that that power PowerPoint presentation together. And I just I can't get anything done because I'm making like four posts a day trying to expose these these horrible evil people this 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 uh this jesuit this uh what's his name fernando lopez good grief this guy's a piece of work openly admitting that he's um you know deconstructing his entire notions of god in favor of some shamanistic paradigm we've got we've got pictures of him and and darn good indications that the guy the guy is using as they all do i mean shamanistic rituals where you have profound spiritual um spiritual experiences uh that means dude got high as a kite on some psychotropic tea or something that they drink down there because that's what they do that's what all that crap is get stoned hallucinate and you know, you have some shamanistic experience. This, this guy is a is an apostate pagan, and it's it's we're realizing he's the one who's organizing most of the quote unquote liturgical crap that's going on, and it wouldn't surprise me at all if he's the one who's involved in drafting these documents along with the. Um, it's funny how all those bishops down there who are are Brazilian or South American. Uh, you know, Brazilian, Argentinian, Peruvian, whatever, who are, who are at the front of all of this and advocating all this. Yeah, they're all South American, but they all totally have the German last names, you know. So, you know that there, uh, <laughs> there was there was some sort of an inexplicable migration of uh, these German people into South America probably sometime in the in the mid 1940s <laughs> I mean, well that was that was one of them there was a, a sizable migration prior to that because i know the the nazis tried to inflame uh, the the german population the german brazilians in south brazil and there were a lot of them to join the the, the nazi party but those were catholics and they said go away yeah yeah there's a lot of Germans, a lot of Germans in South America. Um, so, and you know, the first time I realized this, and also in Mexico, turn on or think about from your youth when you would turn on Univision, the the big Mexican or Spanish language cable channel, and you'd listen to that music, the Mexican music, and it's like accordions and tubas and polka rhythms and you know to your ear you're like oh that's mexican that's that's totally that's totally mexican music but then just sit and listen to it and realize good grief that's german <laughs> that's, that's german music that's been that's been stylized 
And, you know, now we recognize it as Mexican, but the accordions and the tubas and the polka rhythm, dude, it's all German. <laughs> so, well, yeah. I mean, the Germans are the, one of the largest exponents of it. It's also Polish and Austrian and some other places as well. I mean, it, it, the French have a, an affinity for the accordion as well. It, it's not just German, but I know what you're getting at. It's definitely yeah. not Aztec music. Exactly, exactly. And as people are now uh, fond of saying, the the Rhine flows into the Amazon. So <laughs> it's it's very true. It's very true. Well, if not the other way around at the moment. Mm, indeed, indeed. Well, if we're not going to have deaconesses saying mass, quote unquote, uh, one of the other things that came out of the Amazon Synod was the idea of having married priests. And Cardinal Dolan says, I'd love to be married and have kids. Really? Dolan... I've said it before. I'll I'll probably say it again. Dolan is a jackass. So language alert, minor language alert. The guy is just, just an imbecile, just an absolute imbecile. Um, and yeah, I, we talked last week about um, I'm getting, I'm getting ready. I mean, where I'm in the process of producing the PowerPoint presentation and so on and so forth about explaining is going to be everything. No holds barred, explaining absolutely everything about priestly celibacy. We've talked about this before. We talked about it in June. I can't remember which episode it is. It's like episode 85 or 86. And it says it in the title. So you can, if, if you want to re-listen to that, the deal with priestly celibacy is everybody's, people just don't understand what the point is. You can have married priests. Yes, 11 of the 12 apostles were either married or widowers, but certainly some of them were married and their wives were, were alive. The point is, when you are ordained a priest and you start offering the holy sacrifice of the mass, and also the law says deacons and subdeacons, and there's a citation from, is it Gregory the Great or one, one of the Gregories, um, Pope Gregories, that... Um, you observe perfect, perpetual continence, which means that you no longer have sex with your wife because the holy sacrifice of the mass is a nuptial reality. Um, it's more nuptial than, than human marriage is because it is the marriage of Christ to his church. And so the priest, as the altar Christus, is he's espoused both to Christ and he's espoused to the church, which is the bride. And it's it's both and it's not either or. Because remember, the church is both the mystical body of Christ and Christ is its head. So you've got that dynamic. The the church is also the bride of Christ. So the priest is espoused, is mystically espoused to the church, and he's mystically espoused to Christ. And when he's offering the holy and august sacrifice of the mass, that is an intrinsically nuptial action. The nuptial motif is, in fact, antecedent to the sacrificial motif because Christ, Christ loved 
loved and was espoused to his church first, and then he laid down his life. He didn't lay down his life and sacrifice himself first. And then, and then the nuptial reality happened. The nuptial reality is antecedent to that. And we know that because the nuptial reality is totally addressed over and over and over again in the Old Testament. Um, and if, if you doubt that, just read the Song of Songs, read the Canticle of Canticles. That's, I, I remember years ago, um, when I did the Quran burning, um, a lot of a lot of um, Talmudic Jews were reading me because I had done the Quran burning, and I got an email from a Talmudic Jew, uh, a rabbi, saying, "You know, you're you're completely off base. the The Song of Songs is just Jewish erotic poetry. It's it's nothing more than that." And I was like, "I'm sorry, but no, it it isn't. It isn't merely." erotic poetry it is it is the one of the most spectacularly powerful um I, I shouldn't even use the word allegorical because it is a reality it is a it is a it is a recounting of the reality of Christ's love for his church and those are the characters those are the voices in the canticle of canticles it isn't just you know, superficial Jewish erotic poetry. That's that's not what it is. And it's a shame that that the the Talmudic Jews today just don't they can't see that or they 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 deny it. They don't want to they don't want to acknowledge that because it's one of the most beautiful things in the universe, you know? And so um so the issue here isn't the primary issue isn't whether or not men are married. The, the prime issue is whether or not they're continent. So sure, you can have convert priests. You can have Anglican ordinariate priests who come in and are, are truly ordained priests and then start offering the holy sacrifice. But what these men need to be told and what, what should be a, a contingency of being ordained a Catholic priest and saying the Mass is that you're continent. You, you don't have sex with your wife anymore. And that doesn't mean that you, that you get divorced or anything nuts like that. It's a beautiful thing. You, you and, and your wife, you as a, as a priest and your wife are then taking this, this incredible step in, in, in a certain sense, a, a true sense, taking your marriage to the next level by ceasing to engage in the marital embrace and presumably um, living apart, you know, just so that you aren't, there's no temptation and so forth, you know, and, and a lot of times what would happen is that the, the wives would go live into in basically a monastic environment, you know, live as live as nuns. And you guys realize that this whole thing about people disingenuously saying that they all oh, there were deaconesses in the early church there weren't they weren't ordained deaconesses that was basically an honorific title that was given to these wives of these priests who were now you know living apart from their husband they were living in continence and the wives 
a lot of times what they would do, which it stands to reason and common sense, is that they would help around the church. So they would be doing cooking stuff, cleaning stuff. And one of the and one of the things that they also did is that when they were doing um, adult baptisms of women, oftentimes in the in the early days, obviously they were doing full immersion baptisms, is that these wives of the priest continent, one of the th duties that they would have is that for modesty's sake, when adult women were baptized in full immersion, that they would help, you know, with, you know, giving her a, a blanket towel, whatever, as she came out of the baptismal pool. And it, if they were ever called deaconesses, it was a, it was just an honorific title for those wives who were living in continents. And so it's so ironic that, um, that this whole notion of ordaining women is citing not not that there were ever sacramentally ordained women because that's that's an ontological impossibility obviously obviously what it's pointing to is actually the the truth of the matter is that these were wives living in continence, their husbands had become priests and they had taken their marriage to the next level and moved into this state of perfect perpetual continence, dedicating themselves to the church. It doesn't mean that they got divorced. It doesn't mean that they hate each other. To the contrary, it, it, I'm, I'm sure that for most of them, it meant a, uh, an increase in their love um, for each other that they could both together as a married couple lay down the the marital act um in exchange for the the miracle of the husband becoming a priest and being able to offer the holy sacrifice and then the wife being able to serve the church as well um I mean, it's 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 really beautiful, and it's so typical of Satan and how he operates to take something that's beautiful like that and twist it and pervert it, and now you've got everybody claiming that it's it's exactly the opposite of what it was that it was sexually active men um, being on the altar. No, 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 no. It's exactly the opposite, and it just it oh it I could just pull my hair out that even people on the trad right they don't get these terms right. Celibacy is not is to be not married. Chastity is to observe sexual morality proper to your state in life. Married people only can enjoy the marital embrace with their spouse in, in the proper physical manner. Nothing, nothing sodomitical, nothing shady. It has to be in the proper physical manner. Chastity for unmarried people means that you're not engaging in any genital acts whatsoever. Continence means that you're not you're not having sex. So married people living in continence are married people who are not having sex with each other by mutual consent, presumably. But although I, I guess legally that wouldn't be the case. So for example, if, if someone was uh, grievously injured or or extremely ill, obviously then those people are also continent in the sense that they're they're not having sex. So I guess continence isn't specifically limited to that, but it means not having sex. Um, but the fact that people are just getting these these terms all wrong, it's it's just confusing people and confusing the issue. So yeah, that's and they're they're trying to pervert all of this with this Amazon synod and 
they try they the objective is to get sexually active men on the altar and then eventually we know what satan's end game is in all of this it's sodomite men fake married and i guess the the ultimate abomination would be a sodomite male quote unquote priest with his husband quote his fake husband um as the deacon and have the two of them together on the altar um but or it, maybe even just co-deacons and not even have the the sacrifice the mass and no sacraments yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, it's, I don't know how this is going to play out. When is it going, what are these um, liturgies that these people do? When is it going to cease being valid? That's what we're going to have to watch very, very closely. Because I mean, obviously there's, they're sexually active sodomite men offering the holy sacrifice all over the place now. I mean, don't, don't kid yourselves. Don't dance around it. It's a fact. It's a fact. The, the priesthood is absolutely infiltrated to, to an extent that, uh, I'm sorry, folks, but it's, it's, it's way worse than you even probably believe that it is. It's really, really bad. That doesn't invalidate because that's the heresy of Donatism. The, the priest can be in a complete state of the most horrific mortal sin, um, but our Lord is so good that that does not mean that our Lord doesn't come down on the altar when that man says says the words of consecration, because he loves us so much that he would never put us in a position to where, as I've said many times before, we can walk into almost any Catholic church on the surface of this planet and be be confident that our Lord is in fact physically substantially reposed in that tabernacle. Um, that's how much he loves us. It'll even answer the call and come down into the hands of sodomite priests. Um, so that's, that's Satan's end game. And it's also going to involve one of the things that they've been talking about now for they've had, they've had this planned for, for, since the advent of Bergoglio, going into Bergoglio and and his usurpation, they've had all of this planned. They're going to go and find um, heterosexual men who were carrying on with a female concubine, and then left the priesthood, became laicized, and and got married. They're going to go find all of those guys, and they're going to say, "Oh, we'll restore your faculties if you want back in. We'll totally restore your faculties to just chip away." chip away at that integrity of the whole thing. Um, that's why the scandal of, of the most prominent is obviously that legionary scum, Father Thomas Williams, and that chalice-snatching mafiosa wench, Elizabeth Lev. Um, that whole thing is the scandal of that is that chipping away at the nuptial aspect of the sacrifice of the mass and oh isn't it wonderful and oh we're so happy for you that you've moved on to this new and exciting phase of your life and then of course that scandal spreads the priest who married them another piece of legion of christ scum Father Jonathan Morris, he married Levin Williams, he walks away from the priesthood a few months ago you know, and everybody's just fawning all over them. Like, wow. So you're breaking vows and all people can do is say how happy they are for you. 
for you to betray Jesus Christ and his holy church. We're so excited for you in this new phase of your life because people just want in with these people for the money, for the prestige, whatever, which man, no accounting for taste. If you, if you think that those people are somehow admirable or the kind of people that you want to rub shoulders with and you want to be involved with, that's just a, that's just an indictment of, of, of you and your own characters. I mean, sewage and scum just flocks together and coalesces together. Stay away from people like that. And I, you just cannot overemphasize the damage that stuff like that has and, and continues to do. And it won't surprise me at all. It will not surprise me at all if, uh, if Father Thomas Williams, who right now is working for Breitbart, if they offer him, will we'll rehabilitate you. And even what heck will make you a, a curial monsignor or a curial bishop. I think he'd jump at it. I think he'd absolutely jump at it. And I, you know, this was, I said this to someone who was involved with them years ago when this all first started happening. Um, I said, you know what, what it looks like this is driving towards. He'll be rehabilitated. He'll start offering the mass again. They'll, they'll start doing this female deaconette crap. Liz Lev will be made a deaconette. And then Father Thomas Williams could then offer the sacrifice of the mass with his whore concubine as the quote unquote fake deacon on the altar with him. And, you know, at the time that I said that years ago, like in 2013, 2014, after the scandal first came to light with them, oh, I just, I, I enraged some of the people that were around that I said that in front of. Oh, it's, that's absolutely insane. How can you, how can you say anything like that? And now it's totally happening. That brings up another point. Um, they've already said, there's a, there's a quote from one of these Amazon Synod um, fathers and I use the term loosely, they've, they're already talking about the fact that if you have female deacons, then what you can do, which by the way, again, just to be precise with terms, there's no such thing as a female deacon. That is an ontological impossibility. I want to jump in on this point because it's something I've been biting my tongue on because I don't want to break your stride here. Mm. But the whole idea of, of, of referring to women as deacons and saying and pointing back to the Greek and saying, well, it just means helper. And I assume this is happening in other languages other than English. I got to point out and reference uh, a book by my, by my friend Ed Snyder, The Three Pillars of Faith and the Real Presence. And he goes through a linguistic study um, in the first couple of chapters. And I haven't read the whole book, but the, what, what, one of the things that he really mentions is, is in Latin, in ecclesiastical Latin, where Greek words are brought in, it's not because the words didn't exist in Latin. It's because they are brought in to specifically set them apart from any other possible understanding of the mm. word in Latin. So mm. the idea of a helper or auditorium or some word like that in Latin, it existed. Why not use the Latin word? Because we're talking about when we, when we see, say the word episcopus in, in, in Latin, we're referring to a bishop. Mm -hmm. There are words for shepherd in Latin already. There is a word for helper in Latin already. We didn't need to bring in diaconus. The fact that the Latin words were brought in was a specific and deliberate way of saying this is a sacred word right and to Good point. And, and for anybody to say to translate deacon to helper or bishop to shepherd because that's the greek meaning 
you're sticking a middle finger at St. Jerome and ignoring Catholic tradition and teaching. That's right. The tra- the translation of deacon is deacon <laughs> or diaconos is deacon, period, full stop. Exactly. Um, so they're, as they're now, they think that this, this door is open to them when of course it isn't, it'll all be a lie, but they are going to start, um, doing fake ordinations and, um, lyingly calling women deacons. And then they just said within the last few days, one of these synod urchins has said, well, you know, if you've got a female deacon, you you can just go ahead and make her a cardinal. I mean, what what you need, deacons can be made cardinals. They don't have to be, they don't have to be ordained priests or bishops or anything else. You can go straight from deacon to cardinal. So if you've got female deacons, which of course there's no such thing, if you have fake female deacons, then what they're gonna start doing is they're gonna start making them fake female cardinals. I think we should start a betting pool. Who do you think? would be the first female deacon made into a female cardinal. I'm going to put my 20 bucks in this pool on Mary Ann Glendon, who is the mother of the odious skank chalice snatcher, Elizabeth Lev, and the mother-in-law now of Father Thomas Williams, Mary Ann Glendon introduced her daughter to Father Thomas Williams, knowing full well that her daughter, being hyper promiscuous, would um, would sexually go after Father Thomas Williams. Mary Ann Glendon and Father Thomas Williams worked together intimately in the late '90s and and into the 2000s, well into the 2000s, actively publicly character assassinating every whistleblower who tried to come forward and blow the whistle on um, Marcel Maciel, the incestuous, bisexual, drug-addled, rapist founder of the Legion of Christ. I will put my 20 bucks. And Mary Ann Glennon has been an ambassador to the Holy See. She was appointed by anti-Pope Bergoglio to be on the audit committee of the Vatican Bank. Um, do you have anything to say about any, any of that, Madam Ambassador? Cardinal George Pell is sitting in, in solitary confinement on being found guilty of of crimes as indicted that he obviously didn't commit, you were working as one of the members of the audit committee of the Vatican Bank. Do you have anything to say about any of this? Oh, and also Archbishop Vigano is in hiding for fear of his life. We've got that as well. Um, and anything to say, Madam Ambassador? Of course, she doesn't have anything to say. She's one of the, she's one of the biggest mafio, mafiosa grifters in the Vatican today. Um, and but you say, but Anne, she's she's conservative. She's pro life. Blah blah blah. Don't be fooled. Don't be fooled by these people at all. Come on, come on. These people are in it for the money. Do you honestly think that if they say to Marianne Glendon? You've done all this work for the church. You've done this. You've been ambassador of the Holy See. You've done all this work on presumably women's rights and all this crap. And she has done pro-life stuff. 
um, we will ordain you, we'll fake ordain you a deacon, and then we'll make you the first female cardinal, or we'll make you a female cardinal. Of course she would do that. Oh, she'd do that in a heartbeat. And I'm going to put my 20 bucks in, I'll be the first one in the pool to say that if if this crap t- comes to fruition, I think Marianne Glendon would probably be one of, if not the first female fake, fake ass deacon cardinals, female cardinals. So let me just put that out there. Before you mentioned the name and you you were speculating you know, or raising the question, who would be the first possibly to be one of these uh, female uh, deacons become cardinal? I was trying to think who who with the Bergoglio connection in South America is there, and I don't know if she has that connection or if it happened through Rome, but I don't know. I the name sounded familiar when you said it. I, I didn't know all the connections until you laid them all out, but. I wouldn't bet against it, but then again, if it's if it's her versus the field, I'll take the field because I know some they're going to find somebody even more odious. Yeah, yeah. The thing of it is, is that all the Americans would swoon. I'm like, oh, that's so wonderful, and you know, Satan, Satan is trick, tricksy like that, and that's why he has like the Legion of Christ projecting itself as being on on the quote unquote right on the spectrum being on the conservative side same with opus day and all of that crap um that they're satan he plays both sides all the time all the time and so all the americans would be swoony and oh she's from harvard and she's so smart and it, these people are trash absolute trash conscienceless grifters, money-grubbing, power-grubbing grifters. Um, and in the in the case of Liz Lev, just wildly, wildly uh, sexually immoral. It's funny, I was um, chatting with, with yet another priest who told me, oh yeah, when I was around her in Rome in the, in the 90s, she was, she was all over me. She was throwing herself at me. This, this priest, as a collared priest, and this is a priest whose name is, is somewhat known um, on the internet. Like, oh yeah, she was totally all over me. Well, yeah, I've seen it myself. She can't, she can't interact with Ben in a non-sexual way, except for only the most flaming of sodomites, which is why she surrounds herself with flaming sodomites. Um, so the, I cannot emphasize how odious these people are. I just want to brace everybody for this, you know, prepare. That's the way that you can steal yourself against, against scandals is be, be ready, anticipate this stuff coming. You know, our Lord says in the gospels, you know, you can, you can look in the sky and you can see the weather and you can see when there's a storm blowing in you, you kind of need to be able to do a little bit of the same thing in life. Now, um, the precision I always made in my in my business career was this doesn't mean that we get into the into the game of predicting the future and predicting where prices are going to go. That's different. But it, our Lord does expect us to use our brains. And when you can see a storm rolling in, it's kind of the same thing here. Um, seeing a storm coming in on the horizon isn't 
isn't predicting the future in the same way that gambling about what price movements six months from now are going to be. It's kind of, it's, it's a different category. And yes, we absolutely should be, should use our brains and see this stuff coming so that when it happens, we're not, we're not caught flat footed. We're not pushed back on our heels so that we're ready to meet this when it happens and even be able to um, take countermeasures against it before it happens. So for example, if you see, if it's January and you see some giant ice winter storm coming in on the plains, on the Flint Hills of Kansas, what do you do? You make sure you, if you can get the cattle in, you get the cattle in. If you can't get the cattle in, you go dump a bunch of hay out there for them so that they, they'll have feed and they'll be able to get at that. Um, you know, you, there, there are measures that you can take and that's what we need to do in this situation as well. And don't be fooled by the people on the right side of the spectrum of sin. They're still sinners. We, we are looking for virtuous people, not just less bad. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. We got we to gotta have higher standards. It just, it isn't enough and we can't be tricked by people who, and I hear this all the time, oh, they say things that are pro-life, so I don't want to say anything against them. I mean, to me, it's almost... It's almost that they should even be held to a higher standard because you can't have this business of saying, well, it's okay as long as they as long as they make the right noises and say pro-life things. No, it's it's even more so if you're really going if you're really going to talk the talk, then you need to walk the walk, too. I mean, we can have low expectations for for people on the left. I mean, we don't expect Fernando Lopez to to do anything virtuous or heroic or or good because the guy's just so far gone that's the um the jesuit uh pachamama boy um that i've been posting about <laughs> ad nauseum on the blog um we don't we we don't expect much of him but when you've got people on the right you you do expect them to and you should expect them and you should hold them to a higher standard of behavior so you you can't just this business of giving people free passes uh, on horrific immoral behavior just because just because they they tweet pro-life things it's just it's just it's redonkulous it's redonkulous so dismount soapbox there we go yeah, as you were saying, it doesn't matter what you say. You need to talk the talk and walk the walk. It reminds me that actually could be claimed to be scriptural going back to Jesus where the, the man says that I, I, I fast, I give tithes and all the rest. What do I need to do for eternal life? And he says, take up your cross and follow me. And he didn't. Right. He didn't walk the walk. So yep. just because somebody says something and flaps their gums in a pleasing manner, that's not good. No, and, and they have the potential to scandalize people even more in a certain sense. And that's what really, really bothers me, really gets my dander up in a way that, you know, the people who are on the left and, and apostates and, and so far gone, it isn't, it isn't that same knife to the ribs that it is with these fakers like, like Father Thomas Williams and Liz Lev and Mary Ann Glendon. That that just really gets my dander up. And more people for whom we need to pray. Indeed. And I do every day, every day. Liz Lev, Thomas Williams, Mary Ann Glendon, um, Newt Gingrich, Newton Callista Gingrich. Um, well, I mean, honestly, you could probably just open the phone book and go down the list. Right, right. And, and every, Father everybody Jonathan needs Morris. prayers. Yep, they all do. But the fact that I've called these people out and talk about this publicly 
I'm absolutely, absolutely obliged to pray for these people every single day. And I do, um, you know, believe, believe it or not, but I absolutely do. And again, it's that whole precision between, do I want to hang out with these people? Do I want anything to do with these people in this world? No. But even after all of the stuff that I just said in the extraordinarily harsh but true terms that I just used, I'm rooting for every single one of those people to achieve the beatific vision. Because I can can do nothing else. I can do nothing else. And we all should. And I will join you in prayers with that as well. And uh, we're at an hour and 41 minutes. Should we keep going? New topics Uh, or wrap it up? I think we should call it. Okay. Uh, the email address for the podcast where you can send feedback, comments, suggestions, or other names for whom we should pray is podcast at barnhart.biz. Masses for Anne's benefactors. At least one mass every single day, uh, including uh, a requiem every single week. And uh, for anybody who's paying attention, well, actually, by the time this is published, it's probably be too late. But tomorrow is All Souls Day. They're, all the priests are authorized to say three masses for mm-hmm. the for the holy souls in purgatory uh please join your your prayers with all these priests uh, they obviously need our prayers uh, just like everyone we're mentioning here a couple of minutes ago the priests definitely need your prayers uh, and there's an indulgence for visiting a cemetery and praying for the dead for the faithful departed that's as well. right plenary yeah. indulgences you can uh, you can obtain for the for the holy souls not for yourself but they won't be ungrateful if you spring them out of purgatory with one of these uh plenary indulgences indeed the Barnhart Podcast is a production of SuperNerd Media. If you found something of value in this or previous episodes and would like to return some value, please visit supernerdmedia.com for the mailing address because that's the only option at the moment, and maybe I'll fix that next year. i got a little bit of a cushion I can ride on for the time being, and I'm not worried about it. Uh, Matthew 1720. Matthew 1720 initiative, um, fasting twice a week, and obviously daily prayers goes without saying. The intention is fourfold, that anti-Pope Bergoglio be publicly recognized and removed as anti-Pope and the whole thing be nullified, that Pope Benedict Ratzinger be publicly recognized as having been the one and only living Pope since April of 2005, that anti-Pope Bergoglio repent, revert to Catholicism, which I think it's becoming more and more obvious that that petition it's it's been spot on the whole time the guys the guys an apostate revert to catholicism die in a state of grace and someday achieve the beatific vision as we've been talking about and that pope benedict repent of anything he needs to repent of die in a state of grace and likewise achieve the beatific vision our lady undoer of knots pray for us amen and uh, our lady queen of all saints pray for us and until next time i am super nerd and i'm ann thanks guys god bless